0: Eddie talk, brain talk, unrivaled talk, Mike Graham. The only radio show you can count on for a proper serving of good old-fashioned common sense. In search of the perfect debate. The independent republic
1: of Mike Graham. The home of common sense. Talk radio and talk TV.
2: Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. There's an awful lot to be getting on with. We have reached Friday. It is, of course, the end of yet another astonishing week uh, in the world of news, both uh, from the international front, from the home front, and you'd have to say as well from the royal front. I'm going to try my best not to get too stuck in to the Harry and Meghan story today because despite the fact that it's all over the front pages, I literally have completely lost interest in Harry, uh, the prince formerly known as Herbert, uh, and Meghan, uh, Ms duchess of netflix i just don't really want to talk about them i'm probably going to be forced into it at some point but if you really want to say something about them by all means do give me a call Oh three four i'd much rather talk about the nurses strike i'd much rather talk about the rail strike because of course here we are it's friday must be another rail strike of course another 48 hour strike one of the rail unions has already capitulated and actually given in um, And Mick the Grinch Lynch has already castigated them for only being uh, given supervisory roles. So if you're trying to get a train today, if you're trying to drive anywhere today, it won't be easy. It's still pretty cold. There's a big freeze coming over the weekend before the big thaw on Monday, which no doubt we won't be able to handle either. Richard Tice is here. We're going to talk to him about the PPE storage uh, that is costing us £1 billion. We'll also talk about the other £9 billion that HMRC appears to have lost during Covid because they didn't investigate people who weren't paying enough tax. Also, of course, we'll be talking to you. So we don't want to hear from you. 0344 499 is the number. Uh, there's so much going on. The World Cup final coming up. Mark Saggers is going to be with us, of course, as well. Uh, and we'll find out what's going on uh, with the Bank of England and Europe. And by the way, there seems to be an awful lot of bags of money around, talking of Europe. They've found a load of money in various people's houses. People not unconnected to the European Union seem to have found themselves in possession of large holdalls full of petrodollars from Qatar. Now, I don't know what they're doing with that, uh, and it would be wrong of me, obviously, to assume that it was in any way corrupt. That couldn't possibly be the case. However, uh, we demanded inquiry, and also Richard Tyson and I are wondering where all the money is for us, because I've looked out there, uh, and there's quite a few boxes arriving, but mostly they seem to be full of bottles of wine. Uh, so if you want to send us any money, by all means do so, but be aware that we do have a bribery act here that we must adhere to, and we won't be taking any bribes. No matter how much money you give us, we won't say what you want, because this is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Let's get it on. I can't believe we've reached another Friday Richard um, an incredible week again of news
1: it's hard to believe isn't it yeah. well, I mean every Friday we uh, we sit here and the news gets even more extreme and and this week it's uh, as you say the just strikes everywhere mm. every day this month is just full of strikes it, really interesting this uh, the sort of division now between some of the rail unions yeah as to Uh, who's accepting what, when. And I think Mick Lynch is beginning to feel the heat, feel Mm. the pressure... And I think he's obviously losing support from other unions and indeed from his own members. Well, the TSSA,
2: which represents quite a few sort of administrative people in the rail business and who work in quite an important role in many ways for for Network Rail, they have accepted a deal now. That's right. And he's kind of poo-pooing that. He said it's up to them to do it and it's all very well. They can do it if they want. But he's more or less saying they're not very important workers in the rail business, which seems an extraordinary thing to say for a comrade.
1: You know they're in trouble once they start dissing their own comrades. And I think that that there's not enough talk about how actually they're going to modernize the railways Mm. so that we, the customers who pay the bills, can actually rely on them to run on time. Because they seem to run on time in most other developed nations. But here in the UK, the idea of having modern practices, having trains that that depart on time, that arrive on time, Mm. just doesn't seem to form part of the debate. Well, they seem it's worse very than that, resistant. It? It's they seem worse very than that. resistant.
2: It, worse than that, because anybody who uses the trains on a regular basis tells me that you actually have no idea now whether the train you're about to, to, to get on is going to run. And if it does start... Where, whether it's going to get to the destination you want it to go to?
1: Well, I've just been trying to get the Elizabeth line mm. over recent weeks, and it is a complete and utter lottery. Yeah, twenty billion quid poured into this, and this opened, is the newest line in the, London. This is, supposed is the newest to line the... in the United Kingdom, yes, and indeed in London. Twenty billion quid, three mm. and a half years late. It looks glorious and gleaming and fantastic, but you've no idea when a train is going to turn up. You've no idea where it's going to stop because yeah. although. Uh, there's a whole list of stops advertised quite often it decides not to stop there right and so the whole thing is uh, it's a lottery i was on one last night and it was sort of drifting i could to walk faster than the train was going <laughs> it was just extraordinary and
2: that's the problem isn't it i mean i haven't even used the elizabeth line yet because i'm not confident enough that it will get me to where i want to go in time and if you're in, you know if you're anything other than unemployed normally you have to get on a train well, you, which gets
1: you somewhere what i've learned is that you've got plenty of time to look at all the gleaming wonderful Uh, brickwork and architecture and panelling and things because the thing seems to be drifting along at a rather slow pace. It's unbelievable I mean I
2: I was looking at taking it once when I was coming back from the airport and I I actually asked the people who were there I said "Is is, is it quite quick and they said no the Heathrow Express is by far quicker because it stops at about 55 stops on the way back and then I went downstairs and there it said Elizabeth Line next train 13 minutes Which is not exactly commutable kind of
1: timing, is it? So they've they've not actually, despite being many years late, not really got on top of that. We don't know quite what's going on there. No. Uh, But uh, these strikes, uh, they are, of course, uh, causing huge grief to everybody up and down the country. My sense is that the the strikers have got their timing badly, badly wrong. Mm. We all understand about the pressures of inflation, the cost of living. I think the government have handled uh, most of this incredibly badly. Uh, over a long period of time. Yeah. Uh, but I think the timing of these strikes is what's causing so much angst mm. and grief. Absolutely right. And but also, I think the public sympathy is, is shifting quite a lot
2: because they see what these people have and they see what deals they have and they go, well, hang on a minute, um, we don't have that kind of deal. I spoke to some people yesterday on the phone after we uh, were interviewing people down the picket line at Guy's Hospital and this guy we were speaking to, uh, was. I said, would you mind asking him how much money he makes? He said, I'm on band seven which is anywhere between 41000 at the low end, to about 47000 which you can easily top up to 50000 And this is a guy who is a nurse saying, we're undervalued uh, and we're poor. And, and of people course, are listening and, but, to that going, hang on, I haven't got half that money.
1: And on top of that, you've got very, very substantial benefits in terms of a gold-plated pension scheme. Yeah. And that is one of the huge benefits that's always existed in the public sector and has always been part of the deal. Mm. So... Uh, you've got that, and then then you've got the Royal Mail strikes, which again the the, the mail is uh, the Royal Mail is on holiday on uh, on strike again, and this is an organisation that I think is incredibly badly mm. run, and there you've got genuine competition from the delivery companies, and guess what? Lots of their customers are basically taking their business elsewhere to other delivery companies, and so the Royal Mail is in a vicious spiral of decline, mm. and. But it's, it's a terribly badly run company. Yeah. Well, we showed pictures just the other
2: day of this sorting office down in Bristol, which is now overrun with rats and foxes, because it's such a pile of stuff. Yes. And they're all Christmas presents. that are supposed to be going to people's homes. Now, you'd have to imagine
1: that a bit 50% of those will be undeliverable because they'll have been eaten by rats. Completely. But once again, you've got archaic working practices, unfortunately, in too many parts of that business. But the management... I mean, last November... The management gave out a huge special dividend to the shareholders, while claiming that they didn't have the the money in order yeah. to, uh, to 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 meet but is to this, work with some of the, uh, the demands of their because, staff. So because,
2: because I think it's true to say that both in terms of the trains uh, and their operating companies, and the Royal Mail and the people that run that, they're very badly run. I mean, if you were running that as a private organisation, you'd fire everybody in it, wouldn't you?
1: I think I think you just wouldn't tolerate. Those working practices, yeah. and of course, the Royal Mail now actually is a—it's a private business. It's listed on the stock market, but it's still got some of the archaic public sector attitudes yeah. and unionisation. And they're coming—they're going to make huge losses this year because fundamentally, many of their customers, their parcel businesses, they're just taking their business elsewhere. Because if you're unreliable yeah. and there's too many strikes, uh, then people will take their business elsewhere. And I think that's what we're seeing. And I mean, I don't use the Royal Mail. And in fact, the last
2: time I went on strike, uh, I said, well, I have not really notice because I don't really get much mail anyway. You know, literally, if I get one piece of mail a week, that's more well, than... Well, that's how uh, the normal. world is changing, isn't it? Yeah.
1: In that, uh, obviously, so much mail is delivered through is delivered online, email and the like, so much of their business is disappearing. Parcels, online shopping is huge, so they're, they're trying to max out on that. But it's a genuinely competitive area of business, mm. and they're losing out, so they've got to uh, they've got to renew and reinvigorate themselves and i think the rail unions again more and more people are going to say well look if you're going to keep being so unreliable uh, in terms of your your timing but also in terms of striking ever more demands then more and more people say well could we have some automated trains please yeah. that are driverless right. of course is used across m- m- many parts of the world mm. and of course we we have got here for example on the dlr and i think it's not unreasonable for people to say well look if if you're just if you're not going to get prepared to go to work and have modern day working practices then that's the consequence yeah. of those actions so these are the these i think are the the important thing and i said to Mick Lynch back in the summer i said you need to be careful mm. that you don't end up becoming the sort of the the modern-day Arthur Scargill yes. of the Gold Miners. Well, this
2: is it, because if you look back at that period of time in the 70s when all of those huge unions... I was talking to somebody yesterday who was part of the TGWU, uh, which, of course, was the beer moth of unions, uh, which has now sort of morphed into Unite, which is a much lesser uh, powerful yeah. uh, uh, organisation. But almost all of those businesses that the, the striking workers were protesting about have gone. There is no car industry, really, to speak of in this country anymore. There's no real steel industry to speak of, not not on a mammoth level. You know, I know that they're not really shipbuilding. You know, all of those heavy industrial... Yeah, some of the heavy industrial, just uh,
1: went. For, for a whole bunch of reasons, but union relations was, was a big issue. And lately, one of the big issues, although our car industry was doing very well, but one of the big issues now is just the cost of energy, which yeah. is another whole separate topic, which has made... Many of our industries yeah. really struggle, at, and businesses up and down the country mm. are really, really feeling the pinch. But if you're on a public sector bills, worker,
2: of course, you don't care about that because you, you expect to that. get all the perks, you expect to get all the pension fund uh, benefits. But what you don't expect to have to bear is any extra increase in the cost of running the company. Uh,
1: that's right, because of course, essentially you're looking for a a government handout. But actually, the private sector is really struggling with the uh, the cost of fuel and the price of gas and electricity is soaring once again. Uh, because obviously it's incredibly cold. I mean, this is a really, really cold spell and and could well herald a very cold winter, in which case the impact for the government finances is because of their completely flawed uh, cap mm. on prices. Uh, they should have done what I recommended, which was to have a revenue cap on the yeah. UK producers. Instead, they're using taxpayers' money to shovel vast sums into the energy producers, many of them overseas-owned. The yeah. net result is we're all poorer and, and they're, colder. they're
2: all getting richer. They're sort of recycling our own money Correct. back to us and then giving it back to them. Absolutely. It's and
1: completely was, mad. It's completely mad. So huge pressures
2: everywhere. Yeah, meanwhile, uh, the new story today, tax dodging during Covid cost £9 billion, which is not entirely the correct way to frame the story, actually, because what it is is that they moved a lot of tax investigators away from investigating people who weren't possibly paying enough tax. And so instead of prosecuting cases, they just went off and did something else, or maybe nothing, and worked from home. So they've lost £9 billion quid because they've only prosecuted 100 cases instead of 700. Uh,
1: it, it, it just beggars belief, absolutely beggars belief. But we know that there's an issue because of course uh, the um one of the treasury ministers lord agnew he resigned mm. uh, some many months ago because he, as a sort of he wanted to make a clear statement that actually uh, there was not enough focus on recovering fraudulent loans right. some of the bounce back loans yeah. and some of the other covid loans and he was concerned that there was there was no focus on them. That was that was multi-billion. I think that's mm. separate to this story. And I remember talking to Grant Shapps when he was briefly Home Secretary. You might remember those dark days. <laughs> He's had so um, many jobs. I, mean, yeah, he, I know.
2: I'm amazed he remembers and, what job he has got. He wasn't any good at any of them. Um, <laughs> and he claimed they were claiming some of it back. And I said, well, how much have you got back so far? And he went, I think we've got about a billion back. And that's the first I'd heard of it, and I'm not sure that's true. But stay where we are, because talking of billions, there's a lot of money swilling around, swishing around uh, inside Brussels. Apparently, uh, some bags of cash have been found uh, in the homes of some Senior uh, European Union uh, individuals. We'll find out what that's all about. Coming next on Talk
1: TV. On the app, on your mobile, Talk Radio and Talk TV.
2: Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. It is Friday. We've got loads going on, by the way. We'll talk to Julian Jessup coming up. Also, the right honourable Dame Anne Rafferty, OBE, uh, who's going to tell us about the nursing strike. We heard yesterday, uh, by the way, that 60% of operations that would have taken place normally did not take place because of the strike. So, uh, if anybody's going to try and tell me that the nursing strike didn't have any effect, then I'm afraid you'll be barking up the wrong tree. But Richard Tice is here. Let's talk about this amazing story in The Telegraph. Spies who exposed EU corruption were investigating
1: foreign meddling. Uh, this really is a story that is growing and growing because you've got, uh, you've got Belgian intelligence services who uh, they have carried out over 20 raids, it appears. Mm. They've discovered so far about 1.5 million euros in cash in various... Uh, various homes of uh, it seems current MEPs former MEPs diplomats, allegations that uh, there's essentially uh, non-EU nations uh, suggestions that including Qatar but also now emerging that possibly Moroccans have been involved in this. They're essentially paying and bribing uh, officials within the EU and indeed parliamentarians who vote on certain things Mm. and speak on certain things Bribing them with cash right. uh, in order to um, uh, to talk positively about yeah. their issues. I mean, this is this is incredibly serious, and and this, it's not going away. This is a number of days into this uh, this scandal, and I, I think it's. Um, who knows, maybe this is literally just the tip of the iceberg. Well, yeah, I mean, we've all suspected, haven't we, that Brussels is, is based on
2: quite a lot of corruption, and, and because of the way that some, you know, foreign governments and entities operate in Brussels, you've often thought influence is... is, is there have always been some very price. strange things going yeah.
1: on, and, and sometimes yeah. you get MEPs standing up saying the most remarkable things. Yeah. And, and you uh, spent a lot of time there. So you uh, well, know I the spent I spent well. a few months there, desperately yeah. trying to get out of there. Right. Fortunately, succeeded. No, I but I mean, either.
2: everyone that was in the Brexit Party that I've spoken to over time, yourself included, has always told some incredible tales of, of how it all works and how the city uh, is kind of run on 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 the kind of the EU the, dollar, if you like. It it,
1: it just smells of it, it smells of money, yeah, and and privilege and, the, and privilege and the waste and mm. the excess and the lack of accountability. Right always struck me from the very moment I walked in mm. and there were these sort of uh, butler dressed uh, people greeting yes. and meeting and I thought this and is sort of a bit sofa over the top. driven limousines oh, everywhere limousines everywhere I, mean, I just try and forget about it mm. but so i'm not that surprised by it by this, but this story is definitely one to watch. It is growing fast.
2: Yes, this is a good one. Belgian police earlier this week published images of more than 1.5 million euros in banknotes they seized during raids related to the corruption investigation. And it's like a sort of a movie, this, isn't it? They found 700,000 euros in the house of Pier Antonio Panzeri, a former Italian MEP and head of an influential NGO. He's alleged to have received financial handouts from a senior Moroccan diplomat uh, by the name of Abderrahim Atmoun, who has not commented on the
1: claims. I'm sure he's not commented. Yeah. And That's a lot of money. 700,000 in it's, it's a in lot cash. of cash. But the truth is that Brussels has for a long time been seen as the spy capital of Europe. Serious concerns about the influence of uh, not, only, um, not only Russians, but also Chinese influence into the EU. And... It, if you don't understand something, I've always say follow the money. And yeah. what this is clearly showing is there's a lot of money in cash
2: right. swilling
1: around and it also the it brings the to European Bear Union. The
2: reason why many people in this government and in this country have always been slightly um, squeamish about sharing intelligence with the EU. Because it's a bit like when you share intelligence with countries abroad who might be easily got at by China or Russia yes. or anything like that. And, you know, I remember when I was in India once covering a story of how uh, somebody had sold off... Uh, the blueprints to a new tank that they were buying from Russia to the Americans for a couple of cases of Johnny Walker Black Label, <laughs> you know, and I'm not casting expressions on India, but I mean, you know, the more of this information that you share with the EU, the more likely somebody's oh, going to flog it off without to the question. Moroccans. Which
1: is why, surprise, surprise, uh, the Five Eyes, five eyes Network yeah. does not include any uh, any other EU nation. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm not surprised. Uh, we're very
2: well out of it, as if you didn't know. Absolutely. Um, let's talk a bit about, I suppose, the other big story of the week, which seems so long ago now, Rishi Sunak's statement at the start of the week about migrants. Uh, obviously, you know, a lot of people, myself included, think it's the furthest that any Prime Minister has gone to talk about really? trying to fix it. Yeah, I think so. Because I think what he did was, um, by telling people that it was unfair... It kind of slightly moved the dial because, you know, it stopped all of these lefties going, oh, but everybody who comes is absolutely, you know, entitled to come here. What we now know is that, no, they're not actually entitled to come here. And if they can't prove that they should be here, then they will go back.
1: I I, I disagree. I think he's just he's just carried on the same old talk and waffle Mm. that we've heard from. We heard it from Boris Johnson. Uh, we heard it, no, I thought uh, it was from different. everybody. I, I thought it was a
2: bit think, more detailed, I thought it was a bit more yeah, look, focused, and I thought he had... With, with changing, and I know Isabel said this before, that it's going to take a long time to change the, the law, and it may go for a couple if, of years. But if you look at
1: the detail, it's no different to what Priti Patel was talking about. It's no different to what Suello Braverman has been talking about. We've heard all of this before. I, I promise you, it will change nothing, because what none of it does mm. is target the source of of the boats leaving France. And none of it actually, in a sense, is a deterrent mm. to the boats leaving the shores. And the only way you deal with that and the only way you stop the horrific tragedy this week of those deaths is you have to pick up and take back. Yes. And that is the only thing but that will stop But surely you
2: this. would admit that if they can make it work that anyone who comes here illegally can never stay here then that should be a
1: deterrent, shouldn't it? Uh, no, not at all, because because of the, we've got 70,000 in the last two years yeah. who come here. Yeah, because does, they anybody know they seriously think, does anybody seriously think that those 70,000 are going to be returned under the, the political no, they won't be. guidance? Well, So so you've just proven my point that there's not a deterrent at all, no, what I'm because saying tens is if, of yeah, thousands if, more will keep coming sure, in the knowledge I've they won't thought, be returned. Of
2: course they will if they know that they will be able to stay, but if they can change that, if they can make it possible for people who come here illegally to be immediately sent back, and they don't get to stay, then that will surely change the we, we situation. We heard that from
1: Boris Johnson. We've heard it from, from Home Secretaries, from Prime Ministers. Time after time, month after month, year after year, nothing ever changes. And in my view, uh, the political will simply isn't there. Is this be- going to
2: be another one of those uh,
1: just wait till I'm proved right scenarios? It, well, I am right once again. And no, that mean you, <laughs> I mean me. You're it's not what, right at all because it's, nothing's happened yet. Well, I you're think I just, will be right. We'll be sitting here wrong. in a year's time. <laughs> Tens of thousands will have come across next year, unfortunately. Right. Who knows where they're going traffic to be put
2: will up? Traffic be even worse. i uh, will be late for the
1: show. <laughs> You'll be late for the show. But where will they be housed? And the bill will go up and up. Yeah. I think people's fury uh, will be uh, ever greater. Mm. And none of this changes any of that until we leave the ECHR, until we have a completely new Department of Immigration staffed by people who believe in the cause of secure sovereign borders – then uh, nothing will change. OK. Uh, you're back on Sunday. I'm back on you Sunday. you plan so far? Uh, the, plan is, the plan is emerging. I have all sorts of cunning plans. <laughs> so you don't But have I, a will not, I, I will not be talking about <laughs> Harry and Meghan. It will continue to oh, be a God. Harry and Meghan I mean, free zone.
2: That has been... I mean, I literally, my heart sank as I was driving out to Ealing <laughs> yesterday. Cause it, and then luckily I got there and found out I didn't have to talk about Harry and Meghan because I've literally had enough. I, mean, I think I'm everybody's now, had enough. I'm going to have to talk to Rupert Bell at some point in the show today. But I think everybody's just fed up to the back teeth. It's just, just stop.
1: Please, uh, just stop. Just just go and live your life. I think we just want to actually... We've got so many challenges that are affecting people's daily lives yeah. here. That's what we need to focus on. Yeah. And that's what the government's got to resolve. And at the moment, uh, there's very little sign. I really wonder whether actually the union's objective is to push towards making the country ungovernable Mm. and push towards a general election. There's
2: no doubt. I think that's exactly what's going on. There is no doubt. When I watched the picket lines, and I drove past about five of them yesterday on the way out there, um, there's no question that this is a throwback to the 70s. They're loving it. They're jumping up and down. They're singing songs on the picket line. You know, these are not desperate people crying out for help. These are people who are relishing the idea that they can bring down the government. It's as simple as that. Richard Tice, thank you very much indeed. He'll be back on Sunday, 10am, don't miss it. Uh, the Sunday sermon, of course, with Mr Tice. It's always worth listening to. Uh, we've got more coming up. I'm not going to mention Harry and Meghan, uh, but Rupert Bell might. Uh, he's up next as a Talk TV. On DAB Plus,
1: on the app, Talk Radio and Talk TV.
2: Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. How about this from Julian in Coventry. Morning Mike. As a recently retired police officer we were always told our pay compensated for the fact that we did not have normal employee rights such as the right to strike. Nurses often compare their salaries with ours stating they should be equivalent so perhaps they should give up some rights as well such as the right to strike. What a good point. Very well said. Uh, Here's the thing from uh, Ian. He says just seen your clip on the people on boats when they arrive uh, they will be sent back. The only downfall to your argument is that you can only send back those in the system, those who arrive and run, will not be returned. Well, I mean, I think the point about all of the boat people that arrive on small boats on the southeast shores of this country is that we really don't know for sure exactly how many people there are because not every single one of them gets counted by border forces. And you're quite right, Ian. I know that some of them just disappear off into the local towns and are never to be seen again. So you have to assume that that number is a relatively high one, certainly in the several hundreds, possibly in a few thousand. But, you know, they've got to try and do something. And what I was trying to say to Richard Tice was that I think... Rishi Sunak has said more than any previous incumbent, either in the Home Office or uh, in Number 10 Downing Street, and I think he does mean business, and let's see uh, whether he manages to do something about it. 0344-499-1000, a big, big sporting weekend coming up because it is, of course, the World Cup final between France and Argentina uh, on Sunday evening. Uh, Mark Saggers has been our man uh, in the bunker, the World Cup bunker throughout. He's also the host of the Sunday nightclub on Talk TV. Mark, a very good morning to you.
0: Well, very good morning to you. Um, I've changed my backdrop really to my my study. (laughs) Oh, right. As opposed to the the bunker. Have
2: you sealed it it up again for another four years?
0: Well, it feels like it's actually been, it should be sealed up since 1966, shouldn't it, really? It should, really, Um, yeah. Do you know what? I'm hopping mad. I'm really mad. Well, I'm not mad. I'll come on and talk about the final and tomorrow's third and fourth place post, but I'm mad about the way that our press seems to have. Um, I know it's not the thing to do from within the media, but everybody seems to have just basically lied down and let Gareth Southgate get away with it, yeah. for me. I mean, we got no further than we, than I predicted, than many others predicted, a quarter-final. We played hardly any of the players that he had available. Half his squad didn't even get a game, right. you know, nearly. And um, what he did do very well was his. He's brought the press in and the media and everybody together, hasn't he? He's had them playing darts again against yeah, some yeah. of the players, and they've, they've fallen for it all. So, it's, so he can do no wrong, basically. Right. Yeah, no, um, it's quite a clever PR strategy, isn't oh, it? Oh, it? it's been very clever, all of this. But you know what? At the end, we haven't delivered any more or got even as far as we did at the yeah. last World Cup. And let's not forget the Griffin <laughs> guy i love to laugh. But when Greg Dyke was. Uh, uh, chairman of the football association he stated that 2022 from back in 2014 or whenever it was was when we were going to win the world cup yes
2: yeah well and, it's uh, not the first time he's got something wrong is it greg Dyke? yeah well but, they, they but but what about work. i mean what about the miracle of saint george's park you know what's happened to that
0: oh well look that is a fantastic uh facility there is no doubt about that it's too far away from london of course yeah. so uh they spend uh, just ne- nearly as much time staying uh, just around the M25 and then popping into the magnificent Tottenham Hotspur training ground right. as much as anything else. No, we never quite do everything that we say we're going to, do we? And a lot of these flaky players are exactly that. You look at who's up against who on Sunday in that final. And when you think of Messi, when you think of Griezmann, when you think of Mbappé, when you think of Giroud, when you think of Otamendi, when you think of Scalano, when you think of Didier Deschamps, you know, you might not like the way they play or what they do, but you know they get things done. And that's Mm. why both those sides are in this particular final. And it's why Morocco, for me, the team of the tournament, even though they're not winning anything, didn't score enough goals, but really have just made such a difference. Yes. played so well. And in one or two players like Amrabat, he is one of the players of the tournament. Croatia, tough little side. Modric still going strong at his age. Harry Kane wasn't fit. I don't care what anyone said. He had that turned ankle beforehand. He wasn't fit. He was weighed down by that armband. And I was just thinking about this. Yes. Uh, Do you remember Black Power at the uh, Olympics? I do. All of that time ago. Yeah. Well, one of those meaning, two Americans. It, it? Yeah, I mean, yeah. So uh, one of the one of the two Americans, the two great guys who were um, doing all of that. We, we interviewed him yeah. uh, on Talk Sport a few years ago. I remember ago. that, yeah. Now that, that was actually standing up for what you believe in. Not saying we're all going to do that right. and then do nothing except wear a Rolex watch that's worth £535,000 with a few rainbow colours when you carefully try to hide it but show sure enough because uh, Rolex need to need to have a little bit of all of this. It, it's all this all this virtue signaling again, isn't it? But it yeah. goes no further
2: than that. Well, I mean, I, I, I said this week, and, and you might have uh, uh, seen on Plank of the Week last yeah. week, uh, that we were sort of not entirely happy with the way that England's uh, performance was going. Because what he's done, to Gareth Southgate, is he's turned them into this kind of nice bunch of lads, you know, and everybody goes, um, oh, aren't they great? Isn't it great that they all get along? Isn't it great that, you know, there's no rivalry now between Chelsea and Manchester United? Well, actually, no, it's not great because I don't want my sports people to be nice. I want them to be winning. And sometimes you don't have to be very nice to win.
0: You're absolutely right with that. These dressing rooms of international sportsmen and women are tough places to be. It's their profession. It's no different to any... um, different opportunity that you get in a precarious business, like ours is, you know, as well. You've got to be tough, yeah. but you've got to show your best as much as you possibly can. And we haven't seen the best of this England side together. No. And they've had so much time together. They really have. I think I think it's been a real disappointment. And for that reason, whether Gareth Southgate wants to think over the two years left of his contract or not, he perhaps shouldn't be given the opportunity. No, let's I, move on. From I agree, him and Steve I, agree on. I
2: agree with you. We've had enough of the kind of softly, softly beard stroke. You know, let's have another review and think about it. You know, yeah. I've had enough of that. I want yeah, somebody like Graham Souness. I want somebody who's yeah. got a bit of fire in their belly who's gonna get yeah. these boys working. Because we yeah. went out there's no question, England went out of this tournament yeah. with a whimper, didn't they?
0: Yeah. And you know why we went out with a whimper? Because when the... the I mean, Saka has been brilliant. Don't get me wrong. I've really enjoyed him. Bellingham's great for the future. But I've seen about three generations of these futures with the golden generation, with the Beckhams and the Owens and everybody. And then after that, and all the debacles that have happened. We just can't get it done because whether it's that we don't have the nasty street, uh, whether whether we're not good at the dark arts... but. You wouldn't fear us if you're Argentina. No. You wouldn't fear us if you were the French. You don't, you know. You think, well, they're not really going to get. Is, is Harry Maguire really going to no. get at Giroud well, this when is it. Giroud I mean, gets
2: the No. Didier Deschamps, a man who knows a thing or two about a battle and yeah. gladiatorial, yeah. Um, you know, events, he absolutely identified that England were a pushover, and he told yeah. his players, "Go out there, shove
3: them yeah. about." A- it's that time of the year.
4: Plushcare.com/slash/weight-loss.
2: Trip yeah. them up a few times, give them the yeah. elbow here and there, and they yeah. all just crumpled.
0: Yeah, they did, and I think we'll see a very different final with uh, Argentina and France. I think I, I can't wait for it yeah. actually because both of them—Messi against Mbappé—but there's much more than that. Griezmann uh, has been magnificent. He was great against us. Um, we, we lost our way, but these two sides will make it a great final. And if Argentina aren't having the things their own way, it won't be the beautiful football of Messi. Yeah. It'll be the hardness of the Ottomans of this world. Yes. We'll we'll see all of that again, as we've seen down the series. Oh, what annoys me is we always said, oh, how terrible are Argentina? Oh, how terrible are Croatia at times? Oh, what about these Eastern European sides? They're always tough. They're this, they're that. Oh, look at the French and everything like that. What do they do? They win these competitions. Yeah. Well, isn't
2: it funny? Over in the old Gary the hypocrite department, we got Gary Neville <laughs> telling us that uh, uh, Gary Gary Neville telling us that Messi's no good anymore. Uh, oh. for a couple of games ago, he said all you has got to do is go and tackle him. He just stands there now. You just take the yeah. ball off him. Well, he looks yeah. a bit stupid now. And meanwhile, yeah. the other Gary uh, has been ratcheting up his hatred for America, which is where the next World Cup is. Do
0: you know what? What on earth? I, I mean, I'm not even going to discuss what he's been saying half the time here, but then of course I will do because it annoys me so much. Um, he's talking drivel. Yeah. He talks absolute drivel these days. Do you know what? I watched. I've watched obviously both the ITV and BBC at this one, and you know they've they've had some good pundits. Don't get me wrong. Zabaleta, the Argentinian, will be brilliant. Yeah. You know, and others. Roy Keane is absolutely brilliant because he tells it yeah. as it is. But Gary Lineker and Gary Neville, Gary Neville, you've got to remember, that's never been talked about, was assistant to Roy Hodgson yeah. uh, after we went out to Iceland in yes. that debacle. Yes. And that was because he told nobody, none of the players to go near the press or touch the press or anything like this. He sort of did try to do a Fergie yeah. on
2: them. Oh, I know. That- Listen, Mark, this is going to be a great weekend. Enjoy it. We've got to run because we're running late already. Mark Saggers, he'll be back on Sunday night with the game. Argentina, of course, versus France. This is
0: Talk TV. Fast talk. Street talk. Mike Graham. Fighting the good fight with all his might. Providing a welcome dose of common sense for the common people.
1: Solid talk. Hot talk. The independent republic of Mike Graham. The home of common sense. Talk radio and talk TV.
2: Good morning and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV with you all the way through until 1 o'clock. And then, of course, Ian Collins will be here to take you through the afternoon. Don't forget, if you are listening to Talk Radio, you can watch it as well. Uh, You can go on Talk TV, Sky 522, Virgin 606, Freeview 237, FreeSat 217, uh, or, of course, you can watch it on YouTube or via the Talk TV app. Don't forget, tonight at 7 o'clock, it's time for Plank of the Week, which is my show uh, as we highlight all the plankery that's been going on uh, over the course of the last. Last week and believe me, uh, there has been an awful lot of it. Uh, in fact, it was quite difficult to choose an actual winner, it has to be said. But we managed to get there in the end. But do watch it at 7 pm tonight, uh, right after Vanessa Feltz, of course, uh, who's on at four. Now, coming up in this hour, we're going to be speaking to the Right Honourable Dame Anne Rafferty, uh, DBE, Professor of Health and Nursing Policy at King's College London, past president of the Royal College of Nursing. Yesterday, uh, there was a strike for the first time uh, in the history of the Royal College of Nursing, uh, some 100,000 uh, nursing nurses we're told went out on strike there were picket lines all over the place there were also plenty of hospitals where there were no strikes because in some places in the in the country nurses did not actually vote to strike and in some places there were not enough numbers who voted in enough numbers to go on strike so it's a very mixed picture out there Uh, we interviewed people yesterday who were on the picket line I saw some people standing around on a picket line I walked past a couple of them uh, here in London Uh, we reported on many of them up and down the country Um, and you have to say uh, I would say that there's a sort of mixed signal coming from the populace of Great Britain some people think that nurses deserve everything uh, that they're asking for other people think uh, they haven't got it so bad now so what on earth do they want? And is this the right time? And should they be striking at all as we come up to Christmas? We're told by the NHS that something like 60% of all operations that should have gone ahead yesterday were in fact cancelled. And I'm getting some information this morning from people who are going to hospitals to try and have procedures done that those procedures can't be done uh, because of the strike yesterday. It's a bit of a hangover similar to the RMT strikes when after the the strike happens the next day the trains are all in the wrong places. But let's talk to uh, the Right Honourable Dame Rafferty to find out what she made of what happened yesterday. Uh, Dame Anne, a very good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks very much. Um, Would you call it a success yesterday?
3: I would, actually, um, because I think if you were on the picket line and I know you said that you visited the picket lines, you could feel the strength of resolve. And I think the energy that nurses have for this dispute and indeed trying to resolve it, and that's really what we need to to focus on. Um, I think nurses were there, they were chanting, they were singing. There was a, a very um, positive mood around finally taking action after the sense of desperation, which frankly many have actually felt and found over the past few years. So an attempt to take control of their own destiny and, uh, and doing it, I think, with some flair and panache.
2: Yeah, I mean, certainly they all seem to be having a good time, the ones I saw. um, I saw the ones outside of Guy's Hospital. I drove past um, Westminster and Chelsea Hospital. I drove past a couple of other hospitals, Brompton Road, uh, around that sort of area. And they certainly were uh, in good voice, and it was reminding me of the good old days of the 1970s when you used to see picket lines every day for one reason or another. Um, But the problem is that it's a bit disruptive, because if you're one of those people who had an operation cancelled, you're not going to be too happy about it, are you?
3: Well... Yes and no. I mean, some people have actually been saying in the press, and of course, you know, the definition of a strike is that it is intended to be disruptive. But I think a lot of people have been saying that they understand the plight and the position of nurses, and that although it is impacting their care, they're prepared to take the hit, as it were, um, for the longer term and the greater good. And I think that's, really reflected in the fact that YouGov poll yesterday uh, demonstrated that over 64% of the British public actually are supportive of the strike.
2: That's not very many, though, is it? When you consider that nurses are supposed to be the angels, the people that everybody has absolute time for, the people who are clapped for on the doorstep. 64%, you'd have to say, is a pretty low figure.
3: I think it's pretty impressive. I think it's pretty impressive that actually nurses have mobilised on this scale, and being able to meet the very high thresholds that the government has actually set for strike action. I mean, this is a a scale on an unprecedented kind of level, and I think that is very, very strong and sends a very... uh, Powerful, important signal to the government. It does. About it sends. Very, it,
2: it, also, it also sends. Does it not a very powerful message to the people of this country that the nurses actually don't care about you? I've got this from Beverly. I just dropped my partner off at hospital for his ten a.m. minor operation. He's been told that the operation can't proceed because the operating theatre is too cold. He, along with seven other patients, have been told the appointments are now cancelled.
3: No, that is certainly not the case. Two points here: nurses are actually taking this action to protect the public and actually to sustain the National Health Service, whose very longevity is actually threatened by the refusal to, A, on the part of the government, come to the table. But because of the understaffing and the workload issues that nurses are protesting against, they've finally found their voice. And the second point to that is that outside Bristol Royal Infirmary, nurses were actually attending from the picket line and breaking the picket, uh, a, a gentleman who'd actually collapsed outside. So there's no... Well, you'd like to think fashion. that they would well,
2: you'd like. excuse me, you don't get extra bonus points for that. You'd like to think that if somebody collapsed in front of a group of nurses, that one of them might actually help him.
3: Well, they're breaking the picket by doing so, and they're actually showing that they are driven by their kind of, you know, primal instincts to look after people. That's what nurses... Well, I think you sh- I don't think and that's I don't it's think... so difficult. Well, no, Mike. I don't. That's no, hang on, so hang on, hang on, Anne. I don't go on strike in the first place. Yeah, but this I don't think Beverly would agree with you. and 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 really agonising decision, right. very painful well, hang decision on. All for right. many well, if nurses.
2: It, all right, if it's so agonising, what would you say to Beverly then, whose partner has just had his, has just been told his operation's cancelled, and he's probably been waiting quite a long time for it, and he doesn't know when it's going to happen now?
3: Well, I think you know the fact is that nurses are doing this to try and deal with the backlog and the COVID Well, they're making the backlog worse. We have the slowest recovery in Europe. We have the poorest recovery economically in Europe from COVID. That's because there's been insufficient money invested in the National Health Service, and nurses are finally taking a stand and trying to do something about this because the government simply has not been doing enough.
2: Well, nurses say that they are underpaid and they're undervalued, Right. We spoke to a nurse yesterday on the picket line at Guy's Hospital who told us he was in Band 7. And you know as well as I do that Band 7 is a pretty well-paid job, somewhere in the 40,000s for a a 36-and-a-half-hour week. A lot of my callers have said to me that they'd be very happy with that and that they would not be complaining that it wasn't enough money.
3: Well, the average actual salary for a nurse... I mean, the starting salary is around 27000 The average salary is 35000 isn't it? The average salary is 37000 It's actually just below the average salary in Britain. That's no, not it's not. Enough. The average salary... Now, no, seven, excuse me. You then have to put this into context, yeah. Mike, and say, OK, how long has that person been qualified for and how experienced are they? How qualified and expert are they in, in their specialty They've probably been working as a nurse for decades no, in order to reach no that. Incorrect. Actually, no incorrect no I'll tell no you me. listen One to of me the no issues, you
2: listen to me for a not second just pay, no he ex- had no aggression. no there he are was far no too well many nurses if you want to
4: help if you want to just listen, and that is a major problem and
2: if you want to just talk over me that's fine but if you want some facts I'll happily give them to you he told us that he'd been working for the NHS for 12 years not decades 12 years
3: well, he that's was, at least he's one being paid. Decade, by he's, my he's, well, it's
2: one decade actually. Um, and maybe that's why the NHS isn't run very well because people can't but that's add
3: only up. Two, that's only two rounds. You know what's happened with the gender for change pay scales? That the actual gap between five, six, and seven, between the bandings, has been narrowed. So even when you do get a pay increase, the noticeable change in your pay packet is much less. It's all being designed to compress and constrain pay progression yes but too many nurses still in the lowest bandings it's fine but
2: but the average nursing salary is thirty five thousand pounds that is a fact right you've also got a 36 and a half hour week now if nurses are working more than a 36 and a half hour week they are entitled to overtime and which will bulk up their salary further so you can't tell me that they're having a bad deal financially some nurses say it's not about the money Some nurses say it is about the money. You know, the leader of the RCN yesterday said that she's met with the Secretary of State for Health on several occasions and they've talked about everything but money. And on other occasions she'll say, we've met uh, and we need to talk about money, but we haven't talked about money. So there's a very mixed signal coming up. And what I'm saying to you is, is that the more strikes that there are, the less public sympathy there will be. There's going to be another one next week, and already the RCN have said they're going to do more in January, longer strikes, maybe 48-hour strikes. You can't convince the public of something that isn't happening. They're not helping the backlog. They are making it worse.
3: The, the, the issue is about two two points, Mike. It's, it's pay, but it's also about the staffing levels, the workload, the stress that nurses are working on, the bu- the burden they feel in terms of moral injury where they're not able to really do their jobs properly be- and look after patients as they want and need to because there just aren't enough staff. And those are the two main issues that Pat Cullen has been trying to talk to the health secretary about, but the health secretary steadfastly refused to talk about pay. So I don't see how you can uh, advance these negotiations if you're not able to talk about pay and it's quite astonishing how tenured the government has been thus far and digging in and actually simply repeating their kind of mantra about the pay review body but this is as much about staffing and standards of care and protecting the public and the national health service as it is about pay and there's still far too many nurses in those lowest bandings, the 27k level, that's the majority of the profession, not the 37 Yes,
2: but there are also other advantages to being a nurse, such as the pension contribution that is made by the NHS to their pension fund. And you know that that is an awful lot better than most people's pensions, certainly in the private sector and in some other areas of the public sector. Rishi Sunak has said that the existing payoff made to nurses is fair and appropriate. Those are his words there was a 3% pay award made last April. There would have been another pay award made this April coming, uh, which would have been uh, a- agreed, including inflation, by the way, uh, by the, by the uh, you know, the Independent Pay Awards Board.
3: So why not just go with that? Well, basically, R- Rishi Sunak, the Prime Minister, has been saying that the wages and salaries of nurses and this increase is unaffordable and he's quoted 28 billion for all public sector awards. Well, that's been shown to be a huge exaggeration by the Institute of Fiscal Studies. We've revised that figure down to less than half, and he tries to morally blackmail the public by saying, well, it's going to cost each family a thousand pounds in extra tax, even if it were to be channeled through tax. It's more likely that that would be less than £400. That's the figures that the experts have actually given. So there's quite a lot of scaremongering and moral blackmailing going on behind the scenes here. Quite a lot of... I think, right, I
2: think there's quite a lot of... Psychic, uh, you, may, you
3: may dynamics. You may.
2: You may well be right, Anne, but there's also an awful lot of moral blackmailing going on from the NHS nursing side as well, because all of this stuff about how they're all, you know, at the end of their tether and they're all unable to do their jobs. And if this has been the case for such a long time, uh, then I would say they're derelict in not bringing it to the public's attention before now. And it's not good enough to say, oh, well, now they're at the end of their tether, but they weren't last year. You know, the fact remains that there are three billion pounds of money set aside every single year for negligence cases and lawsuits because the the NHS has got things wrong. The NHS doesn't work to a large extent because the people running it don't know how to run it. I said this to you the last time we spoke, um, but I've, I've got hardly any time left. So, one final word to you: um, What would Rishi Sunak have to do uh, for this to be settled?
3: Talk. I mean, just get round the table and with the health but they are talking. He to talk. They are no, talking. No, they're not. They're not talking about pay, and they're not talking enough. So, they need to talk. So, Pat Cullen says they are talking, and you say
2: they're not saying the right things. OK, listen, I'm sure we'll talk about this again. And thank you very much indeed. Daman Rafferty, DBE, Professor of Health and Nursing Policy at King's College London. The moral outrage uh, on both sides of this is very, very easy to see. But I think it's clear to me that the nurses' strike is going to be less and less popular the more it goes on. This is Talk TV.
1: The home of common sense. Talk radio and Talk TV.
2: Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Lots going on. Uh, We're going to get a visit from Barrow Market apparently later on in this hour. As we get towards the witching hour of Christmas, of course, we will be bringing you lots of different things that you might be able to get your hands on Uh, should you have any money left at the end of the year to actually buy anything. I mean, I have to say, though, and I have said this already this week, it's pretty baffling to me uh, how on the one hand we keep being told that nobody's got any money and on the other hand, every time I go anywhere, it's always rammed with people spending money. Now, I know that that might not be the case in every single part of the country, but it's certainly the case uh, in the parts of the country that I go to, uh, i.e. London and the South East. There seems to be no shortage of consumers and customers uh, coming in uh, to every shop under the sun. Lots of people seem to be buying loads of stuff for Christmas. And I don't quite understand how that works. There's a lot of strikes going on, of course, as well today, yet another rail strike. So if you're trying to get a train, uh, good luck with that. Uh, And also, of course, there's going to be another nurses strike coming next December. But judging by the calls we're getting today, uh, there is a great deal of skepticism, to say the very least, about any of these striking workers, because an awful lot of people have very little sympathy uh, with the nurses, and an awful lot of people have even less sympathy uh, with the train strikers. Because they just think they're rather well paid. They're rather well looked after. They've got very good pensions. They've got great benefits. They don't have the worry that an awful lot of people in the private sector have, uh, which is that they may not have a job this time next year. So, you know, let's keep those calls coming. 0344... Uh, How about this from uh, uh, somebody called Sally in London. Hello Mike. Baffled by the trope we are striking over patient safety. When I was a nursing assistant the level of dodging was shocking and patient safety never seemed to be an issue leaving me alone to juggle up to 17 consultants and over 90 patients with various cancers in outpatients and nobody died. Yet other far smaller clinics had multiple nurses taking a very leisurely approach with much time spent on Facebook etc. I was even chastised by some of them for making them look bad by working too hard because i took my obligation to my patients and doctors seriously inevitably i ended up burning out but i'm sure my skiving colleagues are probably still in their posts well sally i mean i take your point and i think a lot of people have said that whenever they've seen nurses at nursing stations yes of course it can be a difficult job it can be a messy job it can be a very upsetting job but it's a job that people go into presumably with their eyes open you don't go in Meghan markle like going oh i didn't know it was going to be so horrible yeah you're working in intensive care oh you know The point is is that if you volunteer to be a nurse, of course you should be well-paid, but nurses aren't reasonably well-paid. There's plenty of people who are not as well-paid. Let's put it that way. And that would definitely seem to be uh, the view that you are giving me uh, from the great big wide world out there. But let's talk right now to Arabella Skinner, who's the director of Us for Them, because a story came across the desk this morning. Uh, From Ofsted, that's the regulatory body for education, they warned that pupils may have been identified as having long-term problems incorrectly. Children are apparently being wrongly diagnosed as having special educational needs just because they've fallen behind after the lockdowns. Well, again, I'd have to say, well, we told you so, didn't we? Arabella, very good afternoon to you. Um, Good
4: afternoon, Mike. Yes, I think we would agree we did tell them so, yes.
2: And so, you know, why are Ofsted so slow off the mark here? Because as time goes on, uh, we seem to be catching up don't we? The regulatory bodies, the schools, uh, the ministers, the government, they're all kind of going, shaking their heads going, oh, we didn't know that would happen.
4: Um, Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And this report from Ofsted makes really miserable reading. To give Ofsted their due, they did actually talk about this well back in sort of October 2020, but no one seemed to register. Um, And I think when you talk we look at the Ofsted report. They talk about the worry about labels versus diagnosis. You know, it, are people mislabeled? Um, but actually, the real question is, why do parents feel there's a huge need to get a diagnosis for their children? And really, it's because we have a very broken SEND system to support, to support our children.
2: Right. And, I mean, what's been the result, then, of this wrong diagnosis? Because I know that parents mostly... Uh, will see their child being diagnosed with special needs as something to be alarmed about, and something to be worried about?
4: Um, I think that there's always an interesting debate about whether you should actually categorise people or put, put a name or a label on it. And when I was studying my psychology masters, that was one of the first questions we actually had to answer. But actually, the reason why, when talking to parents, people want a diagnosis for their children is because you cannot access support within our system unless you have a special educational needs um, diagnosis or an early um, EHC plan. And that's what activates the support within the system. And that's why parents and and teachers want it. And this is not new. The pandemic, or more precisely, the pandemic restrictions, has made shone a spotlight on this issue. We always had backlogs, we always had had issues around this area. And if you go back into Ofsted reports on county councils for 2018, they're pretty shocking. Um, but the backlogs have got way, way worse. You've got staff shortages in the area. You've also got to remember that you had a whole sort of 18 months, tw- 20 months where diagnosis weren't happening. So those children were getting more and more severely behind in where they would have been and we know that early intervention is absolutely crucial for supporting and bringing children on and helping them and helping them develop just because you have a diagnosis doesn't mean you can't thrive in mainstream right. schools well, but also it it's does a very you need support
2: and it's a pretty big area isn't it i mean special educational needs yeah. because one person's yeah. you know special educational needs over there may be entirely separate exactly. and different to something you can't just suddenly lump them all into one class and go oh this is a special needs class
4: no and I, th- I think um, this is where Amanda Stillman's coming from. Her concern, I think, is that the people that the more who need more support may be losing out because you're getting more people being diagnosed. Yeah. But that suggests that we don't have a system that, that's fit for purpose because we're not able to separate. We're also not able within our school system to support children who need s- limited help or catch up help. To intervene without going through through the system, right. I was quite shocked to read in Amanda Smellman's, um report that two thirds of county councils who are responsible for their special educational education needs are um, listed as having significant weaknesses in their special education support. Two thirds of councils.
2: Yeah.
4: And, and what does which that then quite mean? In,
2: what does that mean in real terms? Does it mean they don't have teachers? They don't have skill sets, what? It,
4: it means that the process in place to support our child children with special needs are just not there. It means that diagnosis of children, whether that is dyslexia, whether that's speech and learning, is taking far too long. It means that when this happens, there aren't necessarily the opportunities to get the support in place for those children. It means that parents have to scream and shout. I mean, you talk to any, char- any parent of a special needs child, they will say for the last... However long 20, 30, odd years, they haven't had anything done without without a shout. But but what we do know is because of the pandemic restrictions, all these issues have got worse and worse and worse. We have the behavioural issues of children in, in, in school, which is right. obviously a, a big issue. We have less teachers, it, it, you know, teachers having to struggle with more issues. We have one in six children now on the mental health list without actually any support. And one of the things that I thought was really interesting in Amanda Spellman's report was that she believes that the social contract between parents and the educational establishment has broken down. And that for a significant number of families, they no longer see education as anything other than optional. I think we could have predicted that when we were saying that by closing schools, you are reducing the value of education within society. And it all has a huge knock on effect.
2: Absolutely right. And presumably each school that has done that, and many schools didn't shut down to the extent that others did, shall True. we say, um, they must be finding that, that catching up with all of the learning that was missed is is putting a bit of a strain on their resources and their money as well.
4: Yeah, I think this is a huge challenge. And obviously, you were talking earlier about cost of living crisis, but schools are really, hot, really hit because of the increase in energy bills. Right. So any excess cash that they have is, is going off to energy bills and that's why they need to get statements and they need to get diagnoses because that means that they can access more funding to provide one-on-one support for those individual children
2: yes so we're that- in
4: a slight catch-22 situation you need a diagnosis to get support but you may then up end up diagnosing too many children who could have been supported with early intervention yeah and, and if, and if your child diagnosis.
2: and is it right to say um arabella if you are uh if your child is diagnosed with special needs do you not then get other help as well do you not then automatically become say for example somebody who gets free school meals and uh, other kind of assistance as well
4: not necessarily but it also depends on what the diagnosis is going to be and what what the support is going to be but what it does tend to do is it helps you Um, apply for senior schools in particular for children. So having looked at quite a lot of the, for example, my county, which is Kent, and having looked at their very recent Ofsted report, one of the things that they raise as a concern is that parents in primary are very, very keen to believe they need to get a diagnosis to be able to get their children in the right type of school that either a special school or a mainstream school that supports those children with special needs. Right. And what's really interesting is there's been a huge, in, a big increase in the number of private special needs schools that exist. There were 520; they're now 620 in the last couple of years, which suggests that parents feel there is a need that the state isn't support, isn't providing for their children. Right.
2: And so, is this causing a massive problem? And Ofsted are going to reverse it, or are they going to have to go through all of these people who have been diagnosed with special needs and go right? Because that's going to be equally traumatic, isn't it where you go right? Well, we did say you were yes. special needs, but now you're not.
4: Well, to be honest, the the system is is so complex and byzantium that the the thought of actually going back through it because it already takes years to to work it through. And, and one of the issues with um diagnosis is it it's not like you can take a blood test. Um, it, you know depending where you are on the diagnosis, it, it, it it's often quite hard. To say yes or no unless it's a very very clear state clear statement and and but but more importantly we need to be actually really supporting children when teachers recognize there are issues and supporting them early on we know that early intervention works um we have so much evidence that if we support our children in their early years if we get their speech and learning right if we get their interactions right then we have, it pays enormous dividends going onwards. Unfortunately, for a lot of our children who are in sort of year one and year two, they missed out on all that social interaction. Yeah. And therefore, they're behind on basic writing skills because if they haven't built those those early early development things around their hands and, and, and strengths, if they haven't built the skills to say the right words, if they haven't built the skills to sit down and listen, they are at a huge disadvantage. Yes. Um, and I think this is what she's talking about in the context of maybe they don't have a, a diet a specialist problem. However, they seriously need the support to catch them up. And the government didn't offer the amount of money that Sir Kevin um, Collins suggested, and they gave significantly less money. So regardless of whether you diagnose a child or not, we have real issues within our education system we have real issues for our children and there were issues before the pandemic but the issues are significantly worse for significantly more children now and we need to address it now
2: no absolutely arabella good to talk to you thank you very much indeed arabella skinner director of us for them uh, a campaigning group on behalf of children who were affected especially by the lockdown and it's very important to make that distinction it's not affected by the pandemic it's affected by the lockdown because it was the lockdown that did the damage to children in particular not the pandemic. Do you see the difference? 0344 499 1000 is the number. Let's take some calls next.
3: Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic
4: of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
2: If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent
0: Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.